Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm right here. It's my time to be the voice you're listening to. Adrift with Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. And sitting in the Annabelle chair this week, Michael Douglas. Hello. Hello there. Linda, you've got to be clarify that it's not the Michael Douglas, right? I, th- I think people have worked that out already. Okay. But um, how, how much of an issue of that is how much of an issue is that in your life? Because in, in the life of somebody who knows you, uh-huh. if I say, oh, I'm going to see Michael Douglas later, or Michael Douglas is filling in for Annabelle on the podcast, mm. people go, Michael Douglas? Yeah. And, and then I go, no, not, not that one. <laughs> but if it's you, surely the disappointment is one step removed. You don't quite I, see that in the same way. I disappoint people everywhere I go. <laughs> That's the problem, is that wherever I turn up, they go... Hey, oh. and mainly people picking me up from the airport because right, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll often get a big fancy car because someone will <laughs> lay it on for me and they'll stood there with the sign waiting for the the guy to come out and then I turn up. But the big one was one year I, I used to work for this big brand called Shockwaves and they used to host or sponsor the NME Awards, right? Yeah. And one year they said, oh, our brand ambassador on Shockwaves is Michael Douglas. Can we get him to... Um, give out an award at the NME Awards. And NME were like, yeah, of course you can, no problem at all. <laughs> so it gets to the night, the Hammersmith Pally, Russell Brand's hosting it. There's a sea of guests. The Arctic Monkeys are there. Bob Geldof's there. Oasis are there, the lot. And uh, I turn up and they go like, who are you? And I'm like, I'm Michael Douglas. I'm handing out the award for best video. And they're like, no, you're not, buddy. No. And they took it away from me. No, yeah. on the just, night. On the night. And I went back and said, they genuinely thought it was going to be the <laughs> Michael Douglas giving out the Shockwaves Enemy Award for best music video. Have you ever misused it to uh, to get a table in a restaurant? I mean, I definitely use it to get a table in a restaurant. <laughs> I say, can I book an atto- a, a table for Michael Douglas? Yeah. Uh, but that's the other thing. You turn up and then they're, they're really disappointed. Yeah. It is weird that your wife is called Catherine Zeta-Jones, though. That's <laughs> yeah. A- <laughs> I um, So I just got back from Chicago and I went to my wife's 20th high school reunion, oh. which... Um, you usually, I, I'm I'm a big one for saying no to any kind of mm-hmm. social engagement. She'll say, "Do you want to meet my friend?" I'll say, "No, no, mm-hmm. I know people already. I don't need to yeah, meet need a new one." Yeah. If anything, I'm trying to prune the amount of people I know to a more manageable number. <laughs> I don't want to be introducing new people into the mix. But um, there, there was something about the the novelty. Mm-hmm of it that appealed to me. So she's American and getting mm. to go to one of those big American high school reunions where it's in a gym and they have a banner up and a big punch bowl. Oh my God, it sounds brilliant, right? Yeah, as it turned out, it wasn't. It was in some dive bar with pinball oh, yeah. machines. Okay. So so that was um, 
Disappointing. Instantly disappointing. Yeah. I also thought that I was going to be a novelty. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like people would run over. Yeah, who's this British? You? Who's this yeah. British? Who's this bearded British guy mm. that you brought with you? And actually, I found that I was an inconvenience because all they wanted to do was talk to each other about school days. Mm-hmm. And I was there like a spare part. Yeah. And they had to have a exchange pleasantries with yeah. me. But actually, I was, I was an obstacle to their enjoyment of the evening. Um, a lot of what I heard her say to people was like, but she'd see somebody she knew and she prides herself on remembering everybody's name and be able to like spout some memory from school. Yeah. She's got a very good memory. Um, but what I found her uh, saying a lot to people was, oh my God, you look exactly the same. To which I'm thinking in my head, then you must have gone to school with a lot of middle-aged looking people because <laughs> yeah. these people do not look like teenagers. Uh, you do hear that a lot at school reunions, don't you? Yeah. You haven't changed a bit. And so have you had a school reunion? Um, I, I was invited to one, but I never went. But I viewed it on Facebook because obviously it was just posted all over all the pictures. And what was interesting, it was it was put together by somebody I had no contact with at school. And everybody that went didn't have any contact with her either she was this kind of anomaly like on the fringes of our social group at school this is um, very bleak yeah it was really this weird very depressing. she was called erica lomax and then you know we were friends on facebook and she went hi it's erica lomax here and i think i vaguely remember i think i spoke to you once in the entire 12 years i was at that school Yet she hosted the big school reunion. But doesn't that just make you think about how she's spent the last 20 years? Just thinking, how could I have been more popular at school? How can I I have fitted in more? Maybe I could recreate school, but with me at the centre of it. I mean, that's what went on for Erica, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah. and as a PR exercise, it looks like she was. PR exercise for Erica Lomax. It's a masterstroke. It was a masterstroke. (laughs) The whole gang was there except me. And I was thinking... And they're all like photos with arms around each other and everything. I was thinking, this is not representing what school was like at all. No. You know. um, I don't think I was... we have as big a culture of school reunions over here. I think no. it's like this huge thing over there. Whereas I, I think it would be, I, I just think, some bleak pub mm. in Macclesfield. Yeah. Would, like, you, would you go? No. If you were like a multi-millionaire, super successful well, isn't there Dude. a story about, um, I think it was yes. Hugh Hefner sort of turning up at his high school reunion in a helicopter with two playmates yeah. walking in, walking up to the, the table with drinks on it, taking a drink and then walking straight back again and getting into the helicopter. <laughs> yeah. I think it I was. I don't know if it's apocryphal it or not. Yeah. 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 yeah, I would do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. So did you manage to ingratiate yourself and not mix with these I people? I had some good small talk mm-hmm. with... Um, this guy she went to school with called Charles Turk, who was mm-hmm. a pharmacist. His dad is also a pharmacist. He comes from a long line of pharmacists. Wow. And I thought I had like a killer small talk question for mm-hmm. a pharmacist. Uh-huh. So the question was this. So you're the pharmacist, you're the top dog there in the chemist, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's some other guy at the counter, at the cold face of it. If somebody wants to buy some ibuprofen or they want to buy some cough mixture, they're the person that just your, your average Joe is talking to. Mm-hmm. But sometimes that guy is busy or around and you have to catch the eye of the pharmacist and ask them about the just over-the-counter medicine. Yeah. Does that feel demeaning to the pharmacist? Do you as a pharmacist think that yeah. is beneath you? To answer a question about ibuprofen, like how yeah, I should yeah, take yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, well, you know, not really. I suppose it can get annoying when those people haven't scheduled their lunch breaks properly. But I thought that was a great question. Is is ibuprofen beneath the pharmacist? But I don't think it got the credit it deserves from either you or the pharmacist on the evening. (laughs) The immediate question for me is like, do you, 
if you've got a sore throat, do you just take your own antibiotics? Can you just prescribe yourself some drugs? Right? Yeah. Well, so, uh, Can you do that? I don't mean to be insulting here, but I thought that was a bit of an obvious question. I thought I'm going to stay yeah, off that. I thought okay. that's what everyone must okay. ask you if you're a pharmacist. You're yeah. prescribing yourself your own drugs. Could you cook your own recreational drugs from the drugs that are there? Of course they could. Do you think they do? Of course they do. You should have seen this really? guy's eyes all over <laughs> all over the place. <laughs> see, when I'm in a when I'm in a slightly awkward social situation, yeah. I always just say to myself, "What would what would Larry David do now?" <laughs> and then I would go and do that. That's a uh, terrible way to behave. It kind of is, but it gets you stuck in there. Can right? you give me a, for ex- a recent for example? Well, like if I saw someone uh, with uh, some like tight trousers on, I might go, "Wow, you know." Those, those, tight, those are some tight trousers you're wearing there. Got there. How'd you get in them? <laughs> and just see what happens from there. How know? often does it go wrong? Um, it's. I think I've only ever had one in situation where that's gone bad. Can uh, you tell me about that? Yeah, I think I just... Uh, I can't remember exactly what I asked, but I just remember the, the guy just turned his back on me. Like, <laughs> like I was mentally ill or something i, I was once <laughs> that's a nice quality turning your back on the mentally ill <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was once at a party and uh, it was it was a friend's birthday party mm-hmm. and there was some guy there who he introduced me to so the three of us are standing talking and my my friend is like this business wheeler dealer and this guy was some serious businessman and we're having small talk the guy whose birthday it was, my friend of mine, leaves. So I'm just talking to the this this high powered yeah. guy for about thirty seconds. The small talk continues. At which point he just sticks his hand out and says, "Jeff, it was nice to meet you," and then literally just turns his back on me. He stands talking to no one, looking in the opposite direction. Really? Yeah. That takes that takes something to do that, doesn't it? Confidence. Yes. On an epic scale. I mean, it should be applauded in, in many ways. So, because- yeah. I would love to do that. Yeah. Like, but I would never do that. Yeah. We're done here. I mean, it certainly beats pretending you need the toilet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it does. Or when you drink your drink really fast and then go, I'm just going to get another one. (laughs) Welcome to the main module of the show with Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port in a program called Adrift. Can you get with it? Yeah. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. All right, this comes from Darren Smith, who says, In college in Washington, D.C., through a very unusual set of circumstances, I came to have a part-time job as a hand model for cookbook photographs. This wasn't long after the Seinfeld episode with George as a hand model, so uh, a few of the people who knew about this often made fun of me for it, but the pay was good, and I also got a lot of free food out of it. Hand model? Have you come across hand models? Oh, yeah. Really? Because yeah. yeah. you're working with models all the time, right? models all the time. And the thing about a lot of models, they've got terrible hands. Terrible hands and feet. So you bring in a hand model or a foot model along with the actual beautiful model. And does it follow that the beautiful models have terrible hands and feet, that the ones with the great hands and feet perhaps are no oil paintings? You're absolutely hit the nail on the head there, Jeff. <laughs> got a big double chin, loads of spots, big ears. Um, Darren continues, one day as I was getting on the Metro subway to head to my hand modelling gig, I was spotted by someone who I knew from my study abroad semester in Berlin. I hadn't seen him in a long time. I didn't dislike him, but he also wasn't someone I really wanted to have knowledge of my job. So, when he asked where I was going, I had to quickly come up with a good lie. I was dressed pretty well, so I told him I was headed to a job interview. This was a bad choice, as it almost guaranteed to lead to further questions. He, of course, asked, oh, where? 
I'd actually recently applied to a full-time job at an office dealing with German-American relations, so that was the quickest answer that came to mind. Second mistake, since I knew him from a context related to Germany. He immediately said, Oh, really? That's, that's where I'm headed. I work there. <laughs> uh, now, really deep into it, my next thought was to make up some other errand I had to do before going to my supposed interview, preferably one that involved me getting off at a different subway stop. So I told him I first needed to shop for a birthday present for my mother at a department store, one stop past the one for his office. As he exited the train at that stop, he said, well, I guess I'll probably be seeing you soon. I replied, yes, I guess so. Thankfully, I never saw him again. See, if that was George Costanza in Seinfeld, mm-hmm. I think George would have gone to the office and pretended he had a job interview. Yeah. I think that's the difference between uh, uh, George Cassandra and Darren Smith. But <laughs> yeah, uh, the I, ability to think up a good lie on the spot is is really oh. something I envy. Well, I, I have a friend of mine who's an antiques valuer, but he always hates saying he's an antiques valuer because people always go, oh, I have this ring right. you could have a little look at. So he um, he was on holiday somewhere, somewhere glamorous. Uh, like Mauritius or something like that. And he was chatting to a guy and the guy said, what do you do for a living? And he'd read an article in the Sunday Times about a brain surgeon who had a very specific title, like cranial super surgeon or something like that, you know. So Andrew just said, well, I'm I'm a, you know, a cranial super surgeon or whatever. And the guy said, so am I. Oh, no. Yeah. And he was the guy from the article in the Sunday Times. No. Yeah. So did he, at that point, did he just say, I'll be honest, I was lying because yeah. I didn't want to say he what said, I was doing. I know you're lying because there's only three of us in the world. And I, that's incredible. And I, and I, I mean, I never love a coincidence story because I so, so what? But I mean, that's, that's really something, isn't it? Chart, right. And then Andrew said, OK, I'm really sorry. He said, but, uh, you know, this is what happens when I tell people what I am. So he told him what he was. And the guy did say, I do have something. He was like, oh, for goodness sake. That's an amazing yeah, story. Brilliant, it's right? so great. Yeah. Uh, this comes from Tony in Northenden, who says, you asked for stories of barely functioning in the human race. And strangely, I was listening to this exact part of your podcast at the time this happened recently on a flight back from holiday. One of the young ladies on the flight was coming round with a trolley and serving food. As I glanced up at her, it was horribly apparent that she'd been eating some of the food she'd been serving. <laughs> a bit of a crisp was stuck to her lip and it was fairly obvious. Feeling sorry for her in case someone complained that she'd been eating food designated for passengers, I wanted to let her know what was on her face. Yeah. It seemed like an age before she made eye contact. And when she finally did, I did the gentlemanly thing and began some kind of mime to indicate (laughs) that I could see the offending item. As I raised my hand to my face, I realised, to my horror, that it wasn't the remnants of a crisp at all. It was actually some kind of a growth that she tried to conceal with makeup. I was left with my hand aloft eyes locked with hers as I tried to change what I was doing. I'm sure I looked like some kind of lunatic as I wafted my hand around in front of my face while staring right at her for what looked like no apparent reason. I still cringe whenever I think about it. Yeah. Well, I've had experience of something similar uh, to this. Uh, As you know, I am on the one show as the kind of street stylist where I go around the country and cut people's hair in the street. Um, And we were... What often happens on these things, you go somewhere and you expect uh, lots of people to be there. And sometimes there isn't anybody there. So you've got to try and make a program out of nothing. So I would just grab people and say, can I have a look at your hair? How would you like it? Can I cut it for you? Can we do this? 
Anyway, there's a girl with um, like a funny headscarf thing on and I went to get her because I thought, great, she's got a headscarf. We'll take it off. We'll look at her messy hair and we'll do something with it. Uh, and I can I, see yeah, where this yeah, is going. Yeah, you, you know it's straight away, don't you? And I, so I ran after her. The crew were running behind me. It's a bit like street mate, you know, yeah, yeah. running after this girl down the street. And I said, hey. And then she said, oh, hi. And then she's like, oh, I, I know you're the guy from the telly. So I saw her face go funny. Camera came straight into her and I say, Take off that bandana. Let's have a look what's under there. And she obviously had alopecia and she was completely bald on the top, but all the hair still at the back and sides, you know. And it was just the most horrific toe curling <laughs> kind of embarrassing. I was like, God, I'm so sorry. There must be a tape of this somewhere, though. Uh, well, there is. Yeah, they'll be in the rushes of something that didn't make it on telly, but... That's happened a lot. The BBC could make a fortune selling that to clip shows around the world. Surely, <laughs> I, I felt so so sorry for this girl. It was just horrific. And my job is to make people feel good. And I'd made this person. I'd exposed this person. How did you deal with it? I just me- said, I just said I, I was just really really sorry. And then I said, Hey, look, like, uh, are you getting in any advice for it? Can I help you at all? Because I know a bit about all that, you know. So we had like a fifteen minute chat about like. And then she asked for your number. And she's yeah, you most nights. <laughs> It's like this terrible mistake. Oh, God, it was awful. But This one comes from Jess, who says, um, I thought since Annabelle had recently given birth, you might enjoy this story, which to this day makes me wince with embarrassment when I recall it. I'm a paediatrician. And many years ago, during my training, I was working at a country hospital where part of my job was providing cover for the maternity and labour ward uh, to resuscitate and care for any unwell newborn babies. When a woman was having a difficult labour, a forceps or vacuum delivery or a caesarean section, the midwives would call me to be present at the birth just in case the baby needed any help breathing, etc. after birth. During one such episode, I was called to the delivery of a lovely woman who was giving birth to a larger-than-average baby and who'd been struggling for several hours. She'd just been given an epidural and relief from the hours of pain, um, and it was so good that she was almost euphoric, laughing and joking with us all in the room. I can't remember exactly how it came about, but I think the mum made some kind of comment about how much more difficult labour was, considering how much easier getting pregnant is to which the obstetrician obstetrician is obstetrician 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 yeah i don't know why after all these years i've suddenly struggled yeah. to be able to say that word you get that sometimes <laughs> yeah, totally. yeah like but uh, with the most with a word like omelet <laughs> omelet yeah. yeah yeah sorry go on um uh, the ob- obstetrician made a joke saying well you know what they say in like a banana out like a coconut <laughs> It's a good line, right? It's a good line. It's a brilliant yeah. line, yeah. Uh, to which we all burst out laughing. The mood in the room was generally quite festive, considering the situation. Eventually, he, she had her baby, who did end up needing a bit of resuscitation, uh, but soon went back to mum for a cuddle. I came back half an hour later just to check on how the bub was doing and remembered the obstetrician's earlier joke. I smiled, looked at the baby and said, how's our little coconut doing? To my surprise, mum and dad instantly bristled as mum hissed, what? Confused, I looked at both parents and slowly and horrifyingly I realised my mistake. I don't know if that translates in the UK, but here in Australia, a coconut is a pejorative term for someone of of Pacific Islander background, Uh. not a term I would ever or had ever used in my life. Sadly for me, the baby's dad was a large Samoan man who looked very unimpressed with my seemingly racist Ugh. comment. Ugh. Horrified, I stuttered, y- you know, the, 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 the joke earlier, in like a banana, out like a coconut. 
Neither parent seemed convinced, so red-faced, I told them the baby totally looked fine now, and I got out there as fast as I could. <laughs> Never have I regretted joking with a patient more. To this day, I remember that unfortunate incident and go hot and cold all over. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. Well, I hope that was cathartic for you. Yeah. Ah. Uh, I mean, inadvertently saying something racist is one of the worst things. Mm. How do you walk out of that? How do you get out of I, I think I've told this story on the podcast, so mm. stop me if you've heard this one before, but my, my worst ever... Uh, um, inc- so when I first moved to London, something I've, I'd never seen before, mm. and I don't think you see it elsewhere now, but was this thing where they employ people to stand in toilets of restaurants and nightclubs, uh-huh. turning the tap on for you, putting soap on yep. your hand and giving you a little squirt of aftershave. Totes, yeah. Like, very, very weird job. Yeah. And I don't think that should be anyone's job. Mm-hmm. It's like a demeaning job. However, the people doing it usually right on the bottom rung. They're like, you know, recent immigrants, people who can't get other work. Yeah. So I think you've you've got to let people have dignity in their job. You can't avoid eye contact mm. and not give them the money. You just got to bite the bullet, let them do their job, put the pound in the tray. But it always makes me deeply, deeply yeah. uncomfortable. So I'd not been living in London long, and uh, I was getting used to this phenomenon, and. I used to go to this restaurant. I don't think it's there anymore. It's like a very posh Indian restaurant. Mm. Uh, it's really good food, but it's got a touch of Days of the Raj to it. Okay. If you know what I mean. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's a little over the top to the extent that they have a guy at the front door wearing full Raj uniform okay. opening the door for you, which, yeah. you know, with anybody, you know, I think like a, a lot of British people, you carry this sort of colonial empirical guilt around with you and think, oh, please yes. don't do that. It's embarrassing. <laughs> so anyway, I'm in this restaurant this one day. And I go to the toilet and I'm urinating and I can see out the corner of my eye, oh no, they've got somebody in full garb mm-hmm. at the sink. Okay. And so I'm having this thing as I'm urinating. I'm thinking, oh, no. do do I let them wash my hands or don't I? I mean, it's just, I look, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to get the pound. I think they shouldn't be doing this. And the whole sort of uh, um, Days of the Raj garb is making it more uncomfortable that I'm a British person expecting this yeah. Indian guy to wash my hands for me. But but so what? It's his job. I've got to <laughs> let him do it. So I go over. I, I can't quite make eye contact. I just put my hands out, wait for him to turn the tap on. Doesn't turn the tap on. <sighs> And he's a customer. So oh. it turns out there's some like big, as oh. I let, when I go back into the restaurant, there's some big birthday party or something where everybody's got dressed up in yeah. traditional gear and traditional hand washing yeah. toilet attendant <laughs> gear. So, so, so in my head, I've been like, I've been impeccable. I've been the impeccable yes. person. I've gone through the moral quandary of it. But yeah. to him, it just looks like I've seen a brown person and thought, oh, you must be there to wash my hands for me after I've had a piss. <laughs> it's just the and worst. This is you trying to be respectful, yes, right? Yes. Yes. Oh, no. Oh, uh, so, yeah. yeah. You daft racist. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we would love to hear from you if, you, uh, if you've got any stories about barely functioning as a member of the human race, accidental racism, blurting things out, mm. the lengths you've gone to to avoid things, hiding, uh, uncomfortable interactions, all this stuff. You can email us, hello at adriftpodcast.com. Please join me in this bubble that has been... Forever locked in the glass by the blower. It's it's their breath. 
It's horrible. Adrift. Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. So Michael's very kindly filling in for Annabelle this week, as Michael's already mentioned in his other life. He uh, is a hairdresser on The One Show and elsewhere. Do do people feel the need to apologise for their hair? They do it all the time. Because I, I, I was fighting the urge this morning because I'm a bit bouffant today, I think. Yeah, a little bouffant. Little, little bouffant. Yeah. I don't think bouffant is ever good. No. If somebody says your hair's looking a bit bouffant, I don't think they ever mean it as a compliment. No, the, you're absolutely right. I mean, dry and fluffy, that's how I interpret bouffant. Yeah, there uh, are words. Bushy's another one you don't want to hear about your own hair, isn't it? Bushy, frizzy, <laughs> yeah. it's never good. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, a lot of people apologise. A lot of people go, don't look at me hair. <laughs> yeah. Difficult not to, though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I don't wander around looking at people's hair and think like, "Ooh, what could I do with that?" You know, like people always go, "What do you think you could do with me?" But you are ju- so if you're not thinking, "What could I do with it?" You are judging though. You th- you're thinking, "Oh, their hair looks a mess or or not." I mean, I think if it's in my f- kind of peripheral vision for too long, I probably will. <laughs> and the other thing is, like in the cinema, the person sat in front of me will get slightly dissected because. And I have in the past uh, of like touched the person's hair in front of me and just give it a little bit of boof at the crown because <laughs> a lot of people go very flat at the crown. I always kind of, especially if it's an older lady, I'll go, hey, yeah. I'm just going to ruffle your hair a bit there. Well, it you don't see that bit of your head, do you? you? Know, and no, apart so people, from when the hairdresser shows at you in the mirror. People neglect it. And that. I just want that bit to be over. What, the, show me the back? Yeah. Yeah, because you can't really see, can you? Nobody really, because yeah. I, don't, I don't show anybody the back. Good for you. Yeah, I'm not bothered. They're not, they can't see it. I don't care. You're a pioneer. I am a pioneer, right? Yeah. Um, how often do you find nits in people's hair? Um, probably about once every two or three years, but very rare. I mean, my kids, you know, like every yeah. six months are all over it. But, but do you tell people if there are nits in yep. their hair? I say, get out. Because <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't know what to do in that situation. I'd be worried about my tit, uh, tip, yeah. I think. Yeah, no, I would say, uh, i tell you what, I am going to cut your hair and I'll finish it and everything, but you have got head lice. So when you leave here, go straight to the chemist to get yourself some uh, nitty gritty or whatever it's called. You'd say, if Sienna, Sienna Miller was having a haircut, by you, you, you would say that to her? Oh, I couldn't think of anything better to say to <laughs> Sienna Miller. Than, <laughs> you've got psoriasis and nits and ringworm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this, this could be a podcast uh, in itself yeah. famous people who you would get a kick out of telling they had nits yeah. or some other infestation <laughs> that'd be brilliant wouldn't yeah. it? no I'd have no problem saying it so it's my duty right like you, you were talking about the pharmacist before yeah. it'd be my duty to say excuse me you're going to infect the world hairdresser's here. code yeah, yeah. yeah. who's who's the filthiest famous head of hair you've ever encountered? Oh, God, that's a really good question. Johnny um, Depp. Johnny uh, Depp. Johnny, Johnny Depp uh, is... That's not a clean head. Filled. No, it's not. I don't think he's a clean person, really. Doesn't look it. No, he doesn't. He isn't. Um, but I wouldn't say it was the dirtiest. I'll have to have a think. I mean, Carol Smiley I did, I remember, years and years ago. <laughs> I remember thinking... Remember when, what was the show called? Where they did Changing Rooms. Yes. Changing Rooms. I did her hair for a Vosine campaign. That's how long it's right. been. But I remember thinking, oh, your hair's a bit manky, love, you know. Well, Vosine clearly thought something. Because if you're approached by Vosine, they're saying you look a bit dandruffy, yeah, right? Exactly, like you need some cleaning. Mm. So maybe it's because she looked dirty, they thought, let's help her out. You'd never guess that. Well, yeah, I would no, never no, have guessed no, that no, with Carol no, Smiley. No. But most of them are clean. Celebrities are generally quite clean. I mean, I do do regular people as well, not just not uh, many, famous though. people. Not many, no, <laughs> unless they're really rich, you know, <laughs> then I'll touch them. Uh, but, yeah, generally everyone's clean. Yeah, you work for uh, with Davina for all these years. Yes. Again, that's probably like 17 years or something. Uh, yeah, getting on for 18, 18, 19 years now, yeah. 
So, so I mm. see her on the TV or in magazines, and she's like, you know, you're constantly having to think, what else can we do? Like, how can we make it look different this time? Mm. Like, do you have the kind of relationship where she would say to you if she didn't like it? Uh, oh yeah, 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 definitely. Um, I mean, she's, she, she's not often said that. I mean, like, you might do it some days, and she'll go, "Do you know what? Can I?" You might do it some days, and she might go, "Do you know what? I could. I prefer it if it was more messy." And then, so, you know, I'd stick a load of dry shampoo in it and rough it up a bit. I would sooner die than tell a hairdresser I didn't like what they'd done. Really? Yeah. Ah, that's, that's interesting, because I've done your hair a lot over the years. You've always we've, said we've, you liked it. We've, uh, dis- we've discussed why you're not doing it at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 it was just the fact that all the time you said you loved it, you might not have loved it. No, no, I've always loved always loved it, I think. I mean, I'd have okay. to go through them. But, you, you <laughs> do, like, so, but, but will people generally, has anybody ever said, not happy? No, no. I and can't do, even think of a So, so do you helpful. think that is a reflection on your skills as a hairdresser or do you think it's because people don't like to tell the hairdresser? I think I am very good, right? I yeah. mean, I think I'm one of the best. I think yeah. if you're going to come to me, there's a strong possibility you're going to leave. With the haircut go, of your life. With a haircut, you're going to go, God, that was a fabulous experience and I have got great hair. I have... Um, I I had this TV show for a long time on the Discovery Channel called The Stylistic, right? And I was the stylistic. And the idea is I made over these people. Made over you, Pete and Jeff. Me and Pete, yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. So I did an episode of that for the second series because it got recommissioned because of the amazing success of the first series. Um, (laughs) And I did this Indian girl's hair and she was, she turned up and she had these terrible kind of supermarket denim on a polo shirt hair that she had never had cut since she was 12 and she was probably 25. Uh, so it was right down below her bum and all the rest of it. Anyway, I said, okay, you can't see yourself now for the rest of the day. We'll make you over clothes, hair, make up the lot. Anyway, I chopped quite a lot of hair off, but still long, middle of her back, loads of layers around the front, blow dried it all, blah, blah, blah. She looked amazing. And we had this scene where she walked down the stairs, the camera would follow her through until she looks into the mirror for the first time that day, you know. And the camera's panned up, I'm staring at the monitor, and I say to the cameraman, good Lord, she looks amazing. I mean, she just looked gorgeous. And she hadn't done all day, it's just that it all come together. Right, right. I remember just thinking, wow, you know. And she came down the stairs, came to the mirror, and she just said, I hate it. I'd forgotten about this. This is the only time it's ever happened. But none of us could believe it. The cameraman almost dropped the camera. It was like, what do you hate about it? And she said, it's just too short. I hate the layers. Oh, God, I I can't believe what you've done. And then she just burst into tears. Wow. I know. And then it was like, whoa. And I looked at Andy, my producer, like, what? And he was like, oh, because you haven't got the end of the show. I mean, that's not, I can't can't put that out like as an inspiring story, you know. She burst into tears at the end. Anyway, she went home uh, and then we got a letter from a lawyer saying she was under false pretenses that we were gonna, weren't going going to do this to her and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and the weird thing is we had this joke at the beginning of the thing where she was sat in a chair and then I turned up behind her and I cranked up a chainsaw, like as a gag, you know. <laughs> and I think it must have triggered off a series of, of things. But we had this footage of me with a chainsaw saying I was going to cut her hair with it. So anyway, it was really bad and I felt really bad. And I said, look, I'm really sorry. If there's anything we can do. And she said, well, I'm going to, you know, maybe um, think about suing the production company and all of that. I was like, God. Anyway, it went away. And about three weeks later, I get this letter from her that says, um, I'm really sorry about all that. Uh, she said, uh, there was a, bu- a man at work I've been interested in for years and he's just asked me out 
because of what you did to my hair. No. And she said, and I just want to say, I, I've never been happier. And that the whole experience actually is, though it's been strange, has changed my life. And I'm now madly in love with this guy I've been in love with for years. And it's all thanks to you. So we had to get come back and refilm this this end piece. But uh, the, the, the moral I guess I'm, I'm making in, in this thing is that I've never sent somebody out or I've never done anything where I've not thought I've made you look better. Whether they think they look better or not at that point, uh, it, it, is it, I'm unsure about. But they often call me up and say, do you know what? It's really, you've made a massive difference. Thank you. Wow. But sometimes it takes two or three days for them to see it or feel it or whatever, you know. I, I really want to see that now. Like, you know the, trying, I've got it on VHS. You know those Lost Doctor Who episodes? Yeah. They, they should show the Lost episode where the girl bursts into tears. <laughs> oh, it was, it, was aw- it was awful. Because my whole job, everything I've done for like, Nearly 30 years is about trying to make people feel better and feel good and to make somebody like feel so bad. But you can't expect to do a job for 30 years and never screw up at work. That's not a Mm. realistic expectation. No, I don't suppose it is. You mean that's my my expectation? Even even that cranial surgeon, you know, he's he's having bad days where he accidentally wires somebody's brain up wrong (laughs) and is like that for the rest of the life, right? Yeah. Um, happy birthday for all of you who aren't listening, and those of you who are, you're in on the joke. Great, good work. Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port, adrift. Thank you. When I was in Chicago, I was going off to record the podcast with Greta, and I took an Uber from the station mm-hmm. to the radio station where she works, and. I could straight away tell that the driver was a chatty type mm-hmm. and he hears my British accent and he's straight in with the with the chat. And it's quite early in the morning at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, so what do you think about Brexit then? And at that point, I'm thinking, I don't really want to engage. What is the most neutral thing I can say? Yeah. Because over here, it's definitely a conversation I don't want to have. Mm-hmm. Because what if the person's got the opposing view to you? Of course, yeah. I don't want to get into a debate. Over there, that's less likely. But you think, what if he's one of these Trump people? What Mm -hmm. if he thinks it's all part of the same thing? What if he then launches into a big racist thing? So I give what I think is the perfect answer. I say, it's just chaos over there at the minute. (laughs) Great, right? (laughs) Completely non-committal. Brilliant. So I I think I've closed it down. He then says, so what do you think Queen Elizabeth thinks of it? There we go. So I, I, I say, well... She's a monarch. She's not democratically elected, and part of that isn't she's she's not allowed to mm-hmm. offer an opinion publicly. So we just don't know. Good. Shut, shut it down again. It, shut it down again. There is a pause. He then says, "So what do you think of these uh, rumors on the internet that the Queen is actually an alien?" Then. <laughs> so I've got a decision to make at this point. Uh, yeah. I think like, uh, do I laugh uh-huh. because? Surely anybody who's bringing that up thinks that these people are crazy. Yep. But what if? What if he is an, a, a nutty conspiracy mm-hmm. theorist? I, I opt for the former. I say, well, you know what people are like. People are nuts. They think all kinds of things. He then says, I don't know. I think there might be some truth in it. Uh, I don't know if you saw this in the news recently, but the British Parliament website accidentally put up a page which said, Your Majesty, we still love you and accept you, even though you have revealed your true form. Um, We are still your subjects. And then they took it down after about two minutes, but somebody screen grabbed it. Wow. I thought, oh, God. Like, firstly... If the Queen was an alien, yeah. do we really think there's somebody in charge of the Parliament website who's got that page ready to go? Just, just It's just there, ready to go for the day that she reveals herself to be a lizardy alien. Yeah. So, so I, I, I 
I, I don't know. I don't really. know that. Then he starts talking about bloodlines. And I just think the second that somebody's talking about bloodlines, mm-hmm. you're about to get into some anti-Semitism. It's, it's on yeah, the way. Yeah. Okay. So fortunately, the Uber arrived at the destination. Mm-hmm. And I was able to say, oh, I've got, I've got to go. I'm meeting somebody. Because usually I'm so needy about my Uber rating that I will sit in the car and listen to people waffle on while the clock is ticking. Okay, yeah, Just yeah. so that they don't give me a bad rating. Yeah. But on this occasion, I thought I've got to shut this down. And I just scarpered. <laughs> but what what is the correct way to handle a crazy conspiracy theorist Uber driver? I found out in this week's The Incident. <laughs> John Ronson is a writer who's spent lots of time around conspiracy theorists. I spent uh, an unexpectedly large chunk of my life trying to work out whether when David Icke said lizards secretly rule the world, he was using code and he meant Jews. Um, I spent a lot of time trying to formulate that opinion. And uh, the conclusion I came to was sort of... But I've also been to enough David Icke lectures where I know that he really does think lizards rule the world who've adopted human form. You know, he goes on about it a lot. Like if it's a metaphor, it's a it's an excuse my language, it's a fucking long metaphor <laughs> with a lot of <laughs> with a lot of drawings of lizards involved in this metaphor. It's a it's a very it's a very long metaphor. How often would it be the case when you're knocking about with, with um people with extreme views like this, be it Ku Klux Klan or um, um, be it uh, the, um, the Tottenham Ayatollah or so. How, how, how do they change when they realise you're Jewish? Um, I remember with the Klan, they definitely grew colder towards me when they found out I was Jewish. Um, they, yeah, these sort of Arkansas clan people definitely one of them said to me a guy called flavis said to me I, I i went i hung out with the clan three times and my plan was to hang out with them a fourth time but the fourth time never arose uh so on the third time flavis said to me are you jewish and i said no um i said it, i said no for a few reasons I, I always intended to tell them on the final trip um but then there never was the final trip uh, also, the camera wasn't on, so I kind of thought, this is a waste. You didn't of- want to miss the moment. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to miss the moment. Um, but then a, a couple of years later, I phoned up the head of, the, of that particular faction of the clan, Tom Robb, by which time he had definitely known I was Jewish, and he was really cold to me on the phone, like like really chilly, mm. like, you know, I don't want to talk to you, Jew. Uh, Omar Bakri, the Tottenham Ayatollah, he was different, actually. When he outed me as a Jew at his jihad training camp in Crawley, he said, like, look at me with the infidel John, who is a Jew. And they all went, ah. And um, when that happened, um, later on, Omar said to me, why, you know, why hide, you know, why not be proud to be a Jew? Why hide the fact that you're a Jew? Um, and I was like, you know, I just didn't want it to interfere with our, are filming I, like i didn't want you to be on your guard and, and sort of treating me differently because i was jewish um so that, uh, and then he was like well you know i don't you know i have no problem with you being a jew if you're a zionist that was a different that would be a different matter but i have no problem with you being a jew um 
so that was Omar's position. So he was much more kind of cool, cool with it. This this is focused <laughs> far more on the Jewish aspect than I was originally intending it to on the bloodlines thing. I was I was sort of more generally um, thinking. What would about, I do if an Uber driver did that? <laughs> like. <laughs> When when you find yourself in a situation where people want to talk to you about this stuff, um, possibly because you've got history with it, do, do you relish it or do you just think, oh, I, I don't care anymore? Like you say your psychopath book, for example, you're done with psychopaths now. You could quite happily w- live the rest of your life yeah. without hearing about another one. Does the same go um, with weird conspiracy shaming. theorists? I, you know, I think you have to, or, or I have to as a writer, like I have to reject... I have to reject it before I can move on to do something new. So I have to have, you know, when you're in the middle of writing the book, like I was with my book then, which is all about conspiracies, I was, you know, completely obsessed. You know, everything I watched on TV, everything anybody said to me at a party, you know, it would would all kind of remind me of something that was in my story. You know, I was completely fixated and, and in the same way that I get fixated with all of my books. But then once, once it's finished, uh, you have to like reject it and not be interested anymore because that, I think that's the only way you can then move on and and do a new story. So, so yeah, I, I, it's it's a kind of a busman's holiday for me if people start talking to me about this stuff and I don't really, I'm not interested. So how can I close it down? I mean, I think it's unlikely that this same conversation would would ever happen again. But that, what's your recommendation for closing this stuff down? Oh well, I have a way of closing down conversations with with. Uh, Uber drivers. Uh, I, I say um, I'm really sorry. I hope you don't mind, but I'm going to zone out because I'm really exhausted. And then I put on my headphones. Wow. Um, and my Uber rating is four point six five. What's yours? Four point six five, and I go to great lengths to, <laughs> to, to not to, to engage. Not <laughs> so you're saying it makes no difference whatsoever at all. <laughs> Makes no difference. Um, I do that happily. You know what? I'm I'm at peace with my introversion, Jeff, and I think you should be too. Like I don't feel I do I don't feel bad about it. I think being an introvert is like being you know it's it's a it's a state of being. It's not a choice that I made. It's it's what I am. Sophie Hagen is a comedian. She's also an introvert, and I asked her for her advice on shutting down weird Uber conversations. Um, I mean, I, I usually take it one of two ways. I either um, go with it, because that's the thing when you're on in public transportation, they, you know, they don't know who you are, so you can be anyone. So you can now just go, yeah, I believe that. I believe that they're all aliens. And then you can just get to live out this personality that you could never be in front of other people you can just kind of <laughs> pretend to be this it's 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 incredibly freeing so and then like an opportunity I mean, to role play then almost yeah so yeah just that's something just you've done it. in the past yeah 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 it's, I, I love it i love it when it happens and i can just go oh me oh i'm a scientist on my way to a big convention to meet with my wife <laughs> Benedict and she is a marvel and I, it's, it's you can just get it's yeah it's role playing. Don't you worry about of, being caught out though? Oh yeah, very much. But <laughs> I very much worry. But so far but, so good. <laughs> so far so good. But the other way I do it is by um, just battling them in uh, uncomfortableness. 
cabs because I mean I often if I get a black cab they will often yell at me about Uber uh, which is weird because I'm in the black cab I'm not gonna you know that's, yeah you're, you're uh, one of the I'm good already, guys as far as they're concerned yeah right? yeah or you know if, if you don't want me to go to Uber maybe stop shouting at me <laughs> but but then I just you know because they they usually like giving some really horrific you know assault statistics but they don't expect me to know way more about those statistics than they do. Right. So I just make them really uncomfortable and start mentioning the patriarchy and the, you know, how, how uh, women are being treated all around the world and how it's actually really uncomfortable for women to just kind of be alive. And then they shut down pretty quickly because, you know, no one wants like a feminist lecture right. in the back of a cab. I don't really have that option. I don't know if it would be quite the same thing if I started going on about the patriarchy. Maybe we have a better effect. Maybe they listen. <laughs> have to use your male privilege to, to do some uh, educating. Hey, I'm sorry about. Can, can you hear Gene a lot in the background? A little bit, you know. How's he doing? He's, he's he's doing all right. He just wants to get in on the act, and um, I, I'm, you know, he's and he, he needs to understand that this is Daddy's time to shine. Yeah. yeah. This is me talking to my friend Joey. His dad is into conspiracy theories. Oh, um, okay. Well, I don't know. You know, I feel like it started with, like, magnetism, that sort of thing. What do you mean, magnetism? I don't know. Who, um, you know, I guess he got, like, into Nikolai Tesla for a while. Oh, the, and, uh, the uh, electricity guy. Yeah, yeah, and then and then I don't know what happened, but he built like a pyramid out of metal pipes, and he thought that they should be in the attic or something. And I, I don't know, how, you know, how big was the pyramid? Not very big. It was only like maybe it was like a four foot square, probably like three feet high. It wasn't. It wasn't very big. And I don't. I don't know if he thought like it was going to turn shit into gold or something. I don't know what he was trying to do with it, but. But I think a lot of the, the conspiracies really are like uh, mostly driven by by the like you know George Soros and and the financial world's going to collapse and the dollar's a sham and right. China's taking over and then you know of course you throw in the Jews and everyone else of too. course yeah yeah you know so you know I think that's more the the kick he's been on I think it's like a mix of Fox News and then the the commercials but no actually you know what it is it's YouTube. That's right. what really fucked him up. You know what I mean? I don't. I don't know. He doesn't like use the word sheeple, but I'm sure that's like what he's thinking. It's <laughs> like turning everyone into. So when he says this stuff, how do you deal with it? Well, you know, you know, the weird thing is. So there was this one time, and God, I'd have to like look it up to figure it out, right? But he was real into the currency market for for a couple years, like really fucking into it. And he was looking at these charts and he was, you know, basically looking at these like one second charts of the currency market. He's like, I'm telling you, it's all rigged. It's all a scam. And I can show you. And he would go into this crazy explanation that that no one could follow. I mean, it, it literally made no sense. And I'm like, well, if you're so fucking right, you know, then why haven't you put in like, you know, $10,000 and walked away with a million? Yeah. Like, if you've got this figured out, it's. Doesn't seem like it would take a heavy investment to to pull off something great, and he's like, "I was about to do it, and then they kicked me off the currency market." 
And and he like literally got kicked off. He's like couldn't like get back, like log back in. He got like his account was like flagged. And and this so, this is part of the conspiracy. Well, here's the whole thing, right? So then a couple years after he's he been going on this for years and you would just have to like listen and then after a while you just like find a way to like walk away, you know, cuz you're just like all right, dad, like, I mean, what do you want me to do? I don't know what, you know, I'm just like, you know, I'm not going to like give you money for this, but, um, you know, if you've got to figure it out, you know, he's like, I want to expose them. I'm like, well, I don't know, man, send a letter to, to the times. I don't, I don't know what you do. And so, but, but the, the kicker was, was that literally like, like a year or two later, it, it was exposed that there was a whole, uh, a scheme going on with the currency market and it was like fucked up no and it it was it was fixed so are you saying that we should all be building pyramids of pipes in our attics he's a visionary i'm just saying some you know something clicked so then it was like the crazy person actually knew something and like a couple years before it was like discovered so you know, not that that makes me believe all the other shit and that, like, you know, the banks are going to collapse and the whole, like, silver and gold, you know, collection he's acquired. But but it was weird that he was right, you know, because it was so what he was saying made made very little sense. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you stop thinking... Your mind begins to start loving adrift with Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Ports. Oh, touch it. Touch it. All right, a couple more bits and pieces. This one comes from Belinda, who says, My name is Belinda. I'm 25 and a trainee midwife in central London. I have a truly awful story, which still makes me cringe five years on. I worked as a nanny for a lovely family of two school-aged children who I used to occasionally do overnights for. The mum was gorgeous and we got on really well. The dad I didn't see as much, but was very attractive. One day, I arrived at the house to find a pair of familiar-looking knickers folded neatly on the table in the hallway. To my horror, it dawned on me that they were, in fact, my knickers. My mind raced and I panicked. How on earth had this happened? I must have left them when I was changing after staying one night. But why were they downstairs by the front door? The mum took me to one side and explained that her husband had, in fact, found them stuffed in his shoe. I think she was trying to ascertain whether this was a signal I was trying to make to the husband in the stereotypical nanny-stroke-husband way. Whatever I said, I looked guilty and I couldn't have been more embarrassed. I doubt she believed me and it was painful seeing the dad after that. But they did go on to give me a fantastic reference. To this day, it still baffles me. I blame the Labrador. This is this is a modern day mystery. What do you think happened? Crikey. I mean, I don't know, but I mean, like something's happened, right? I mean, yeah. like it's not, a, it's not a ghost or anything spiritual or anything weird. Like 
it, it's just somebody cleaning up. Like, they've just stuffed something in a shoe because they're going to take the shoe. something in a shoe? I do that. Like, go on. Got, yeah, like if there's something in the living room and there's shoes and I've got to take stuff upstairs, I'll stuff stuff in the shoes and then I'll pick them up and then take them upstairs. Okay. And then, like, maybe in a month's time, I find stuff in some shoes that I go and put on. I think there's a pencil in these shoes or whatever. So it, it could it could happen innocently like that. I am no expert in the art of seduction. Yeah. <laughs> However, yeah. like I, I think, uh, I, I think it would be quite a stretch mm-hmm. to to interpret knickers stuffed in a shoe as some kind of come on. Yeah, it's definitely not a come on. Yeah, but yeah. There's loads of other ways you could do come on, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, oh, sorry, it's the word come on. It's, uh, oh, no, I wish I hadn't used it. Yeah, sorry. I'm regretting it. It sounds <laughs> worse coming out of your mouth yeah. than it did out of mine as well. <laughs> come on, the knickers. I mean, it's uh, it gets worse. Um, so are the clean knickers. It, it, I mean that that information we don't have to hand. Okay, but you know they're nicely folded. Somebody could be setting somebody up, of course, mm. uh, which is another thing. My very good friend Andy Abrahams, who you met, I think, uh, was my producer, and we we work away a lot. And he said he came home from a job with me, um, and his wife found bra and knickers in his suitcase. And he has absolutely no idea where they came from. I didn't put them there. Yeah. There was another girl that we worked with um, on the job, but she never put them there. And we were all very honest about this thing. But, I mean, he, he's on the brink of divorce. I mean, it's awful, really. Well, because of this? Well, I think that and a mixture of other things as well. But, all I mean, the prostitutes he's been <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But, I mean, it comes up at every argument. Every argument, this Rara Nickers comes up. And he can't defend it because he has absolutely right. no idea where they came from. And I did think, God, there's somebody going around with bras and knickers just stuffing them in people's bags and stuff like that. Because I found a, a, a pair of underpants that didn't belong to me in my underpants drawer yeah, somewhat recently. I found I found underpants that are not mine. And how do you how do you uh, how do you explain that, or do you just choose to be in denial about it? <laughs> but I mean, my my instinct is, where have I picked them up from? Not like, well, who's my wife been sleeping with? <laughs> but if my wife found spent knickers in uh, you know in my drawer or something like that, the whole thing would be my fault yeah. I'd have to find us an answer for her <laughs> but but stray men's pants I just think oh well I've obviously picked them up from somewhere <laughs> uh, this comes from Lee in Portsmouth who says our work we are greeted he puts that in inverted commas by um, this monstrosity every Friday morning um, he's talking about high fives Oh, yeah. Says, I despise these to such an extent yeah. where I work in a large office. I now have found one stairwell up to the first floor I work that is high five free. It doesn't matter to me that this staircase is completely out of my way and adds about five minutes onto my journey to my desk every Friday, but it fills me with such satisfaction I manage to avoid it. I'm horrified that this is a thing. Yeah. High five Friday, have you heard of it? I haven't heard of it, no, but I would hate it. And I wouldn't contribute. I would just say no. When people put their hand up, I'd say no. You'd leave them hanging. I, I believe totally, that's the expression. Yeah, I would. Yeah. I'd leave them hanging. Yeah. And I would tell them that. I'd say, I'm sorry, I'm going to leave you hanging. If anybody ever tries to high-five me, I deliberately throw it. Uh, really? Yeah, I always you miss. Mean, you miss. miss. Yeah, yeah. yeah, make yeah, a point of missing. Make them feel stupid, yeah. right? Yeah. I think it's the way to go, and then they'll never risk it again. The it's, humiliation's too much. This is a worry that a British company has introduced High Five Friday. Really? Yeah. What British company? I don't. I mean, he, he doesn't mention them, but if you do want to write back, Lee, I mean, I would be happy to yeah. name and shame them. We know they're in the Portsmouth area. There's got to be finance. There's got to be legislation. If if one good thing could come out of Brexit, they the the whatever yeah. whatever deal comes out, it should outlaw High Five Fridays. I, oh, I hate yeah. it. I even hate this the word High, high five. five. 
I, High five Friday. I, don't, I sometimes feel sad that the gimme ten has fallen out of fashion. The what? When people you say gimme ten and you do both hands. <laughs> It predates and then it predates yeah. the five. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the the thing to do after a ten though is a hug. I think as a natural. <laughs> yeah. And then a kiss, and yeah. then you're in a whole heap of trouble. I would take a hug over a kiss any day. Oh, me too. You know the sort of social kissing. I don't, nobody knows how to do it. You will sometimes see, um, I don't know, like some BAFTA awards on TV, and yep. somebody really posh, like a Helena Bonham Carter, goes to receive an award, mm. and she tries to do the kiss, and even those very posh people don't know if it's two or three or yeah, yeah. which way you go first. So, you know, a, a hug is preferable to a kiss no physical contact even better the the, uh, the only rule i do know is Sw- switzerland three kisses everywhere else in europe's two is that right yep i got i work in geneva quite a lot it's always three kisses geneva two kisses everywhere else yeah and, and make make the sound i think yeah. make the sound What's yeah that all about? yeah it's weird isn't it yeah um more of this please you can email us hello at adriftpodcast.com adrift adrifting adrifter naughty adrift Michael, thank you so much for uh, for doing this uh, for me this week. Um, before you go, how how is your marriage? Uh, marriage, I've got to say, it's never been better. This is great. We have been together for twenty two years, and it's been rocky. You know, we've got two kids that are now fourteen and twelve. But I would say in the last two years, it's 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 turned uh, turned a corner. It's um... after a rocky what decade? <laughs> a couple of decades. Well, after a regular marriage, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, a general yeah. marriage. I mean. It is. It has turned into something else, and I think it's because the kids are older, yep. and we've now got a bit more spare time. And as I've said, I feel happier as I'm getting older. I'm less, um, I'm just less irritable. So no, no, no midlife crisis for you. Then? I think I had one, an early one. I think I, well, you're an overachiever. Forty, forty. I had a midlife okay. crisis, but I'm definitely over it, and I'm finding lots of things to do that make me happy. Do you know what one of them is? Mm-hmm. Learning to play the piano has changed well this this i mean i suppose this is one of the ways in which your midlife crisis might have Mm. manifested itself you you started a band yes i am i'm the lead singer of a dad band from a small suburb of st albans i can't remember if the band has a name or not it does we're called the shambles nice okay uh we were called daddy shambles for a bit but we've now got a mum in the band so we just changed it to the shambles We've got a gig this Saturday. Although well, Daddy Shambles is good because it's a play on Baby Shambles. It is, yeah. I, I know. Uh, was there a band called Daddy something? Gay Dad or something? Oh, like yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, if, uh, <laughs> I don't know why, why that has connected in my <laughs> is that brain. part of your midlife uh, crisis? <laughs> um, so, yeah, we've got a gig this Saturday at the Bricketwood Social Club in uh, St Albans. Mm-hmm. And um, it is probably one of the most enjoyable things I've ever done with my life. Uh, uh, I urge you to do it. Do you think your skin will get thicker, Jeff? I'm I'm very like I I've got a piano downstairs I and I, I tinker around with it a lot, but I'm quite ham-fisted. Mm-hmm, so too. so I'll you know I'll go out of time. Mm-hmm. I'll hit wrong notes quite often. Sometimes I can play something perfectly. The next time it's like somebody who'd never been in front of a piano yeah, before. Yeah. But no, the, the the what I found is the listener doesn't necessarily know that. Um, like I, I I do Kate Bush's hair as I mentioned earlier. So I went to see her show and it, she finished it with her at the piano singing. Um, the Secret Life of Sheep or whatever right. is it or so or whatever it is. it's a very big beautiful piano ballad it was sensational I heard it three or four times uh, live and then when I asked her about it she said I did 36 shows at the Hammersmith Palace she said I never played that song once that I was happy with wow. every single time 
I thought, oh, I've done it wrong again. I've got it wrong. Cocktail. So I think you might think that and you might feel that, but the viewer doesn't necessarily feel it or think it. Or the maybe, listener, maybe you could bring me on with the shambles, you know, like that George Michael song when he brings on Elton John. <laughs> yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jeff Lloyd. How can you find? And are they, are they usually sort of school-related events? They're all PTA fundraisers, right. yeah. So you just get school mums and dads coming. And do you find that the mothers see you in a different light? They do. You? They do. I mean, I've had a lot of good feedback. Oh, I like what a good feedback. What exactly do you mean by good and, feedback? And they throw knickers and all that. I mean, they're joke knickers because some of them are enormous, but you know, they all they all kind of play their play their part. But um, I mean, we're good. You know, if you saw us, you'd go, "Bloody hell, they're pretty good." The shambles. Yeah, you're really embracing midlife. I told you. Yeah. I told you I was happy. <laughs> And that was our podcast. Thanks to Michael Douglas for being such a fantastic co-host in Annabelle's absence. You can see him on The One Show on BBC One and you can follow him on Twitter at MD London. Thanks to Man and the Echo for the backing music and to Emily Harrison for the incidental music during the incident. My advisors on the incident this week were the genius that is John Ronson. All of his work is just incredible. But the one I'll recommend to you, given the subject matter... Um, that we talk about is the book Them, Adventures with Extremists. Also thanks to the brilliant Sophie Hagen. She's on tour at the moment with her show Dead Baby Frog and she has a wonderful podcast. It's called Made of Human. I'm worried that I've crossed a boundary with Sophie begging her to have me on that podcast as a guest um, and it's made things a bit uncomfortable. That could be a potential uh, future incident. And thanks to my friend Joey for, uh, for talking about his dad. Vince Lynch and Simon Wilcox are our announcers and made our idents. Patrick Gunning and Iwana Babu provided technical support. Carla Gowlett took our photos and Kim Rainey made the artwork. Love to hear from you. Please share your story with me and your fellow drifters. If you've got anything about your own social ineptitude or fi- uh, trying and failing in the human race, email hello at adriftpodcast.com. And please, if you enjoy the podcast, show your appreciation. Show us what you think it's worth. Um, Supporters, patreon.com stroke adrift. And finally, thanks to every pharmacist who's ever deigned to give advice about ibuprofen or cough mixture. Adrift. Adrift. All right, on to the podication. Um, I should say that I think we might be running a little low on podications. Now, it could just be the fact that my admin skills are awful and with Annabelle not being here, I'm missing a load. But if you would like one, if you put podication in the subject line in the email, I should be able to get to it reasonably quickly. So email hello at adriftpodcast.com if you would like podication. This comes from Robin Moore, who says, Dear Jeff and Annabelle, stroke surrogate Annabelle, thank you for your podcast. Lovely to hear you both back. If I'm honest, time and life meant that I could only dip in and out of the old radio show, but I'm pleased to say that now you're weekly, I've not missed an episode so far, and I've not been disappointed yet. 
Anyway, I found myself at a loose end, having finished one week's episode and moved on to Reasons to be Cheerful. And I heard that Reasons to be Cheerful, by the way, is the other podcast, the one I do with Ed Miliband. I would appreciate your patronage on that. Don't mean your money, just your money for this one. Um, but, you know, I'd appreciate your ears on that one if you fancy something else to listen to. Um, anyway, um, to hear that Jeff had managed to get himself a Japanese toilet. Congratulations, Jeff. This took me back a few years to my first ever trip abroad on my own when I went to Stockholm initially with an overnight cruise to Helsinki. Oh my God, you went on the wild party boat from Stockholm to Helsinki. Um, I was well prepared for the plane journey with some Jeff and Annabelle podcasts from your radio show on my iPod Classic. I had one for cartoons way before Edgar Wright made it cool in Baby Driver. One of these episodes was the one where Jeff was wondering aloud how he could become an ambassador for Japanese toilets. And yes, it to quote Anne Hathaway in her Oscar speech, it came true. Uh, what's he say? The trip was... A bit of a transitional time for me personally. I'd had a few personal issues over the preceding years, chiefly as I may have something in common with Jeff, if I heard his wife correctly in your last episode. I'm trying to remember. This was a few weeks ago when Sarah did it, so I'm trying to remember what she said, yeah. Um, it will either, I wonder, is it emotile sperm? Is it the emotile sperm? Is that what she brought up? Or the depression? I know she brought that up. Is it the the, the terrible black cloud of depression that... Uh, descends upon me and makes me impossible to live with. Um, anyway, which whichever one it is, um, sorry to hear you've had a rough time of it. Uh, he says, I'd had some health issues, split with my ex-wife, relocated from England to Scotland, and had to spend some time out of work. But this had passed, and I was now recovering and back in work. Stockholm in particular was lovely, and overall I had a great time. But there's always a niggly feeling of not having had someone to share this experience with. The show helped soothe that with its warmth and familiarity. Well, certainly familiarity, me telling the uh, same old stories over and over again. And you've kept the spirit of that up in a drift, I think. Thank you. That's a lovely thing to read. And uh, had Annabelle been here, she would have gone through it with a biro and edited that out. But it was lovely to read out. So I'd really appreciate a publication to my ex-wife, but now partner again, Sue. Congratulations. Um, or Lady Sue, as Annabelle kindly titled her. And our kids, Rosie, age nine, and Rory, age eight. Three R's. Robin, Rosie and Rory. Robin, Rosie, Rory. Sue, I really think you should change your name to Rousseau. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Need Annabelle here to groan, really, don't I? I do think sometimes when I'm talking about Annabelle not being here, I sound like one of those, um, like an old widower who can't quite accept that his wife has gone. Annabelle is coming back. I just don't know when. Sarah saw her tonight, actually. Actually, I wonder if Sarah can... Here's me thinking, I wonder if I shout downstairs, Sarah will come up, but let me give it a go. Just taking the headphones off. Sarah? Sarah? No, I can hear she's got the TV on, she's never going to... She's never going to hear me bawling over that. I could try phoning her, I suppose. Hang on. Just plug my phone in. Oh, maybe that wasn't the... I'm just thinking now, maybe that wasn't the TV, maybe she was... Skyping with somebody in America. Let me see if I can get my wife, Sarah Barron. Ah, I can't do it. I can't. I can't. I could do it. A speakerphone. This is really boring. This is exactly the sort of thing that would happen when we're doing the podications on the old radio show, isn't it? Uh, there is she. I'm just going to put her on speakerphone, see if I can get a hold of her. Yeah. 
Hi, I'm just doing the podications. Did Annabelle say when she's coming back to the podcast? No, we didn't talk about it. Okay. Bye. 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 Well, that was worth all that faffing about, wasn't it? I could could only apologise. Um... Where were we up to? So I'd really appreciate podication. Oh, we've done that bit. Uh, here we are. Rosie, happy upcoming birthday. That'd be awesome. I don't know where it is. I know this was sent about a month ago, so we might have missed it, but um, there is a little belated birthday podication if we did. Uh, things have moved on, got better. We're going to Stockholm the week after next for half term. Oh, we've missed your trip to Stockholm. I'm pretty sure Sue and I will be drifting on the flights there and back. I'm really looking forward to showing Rory the Vasa Museum. That is a great museum. Uh, I see from Facebook page that Jeff likes Sweden too, but I'm wary of asking for recommendations on what to do as we're only there for a few days and I don't want to offend by not doing them. Well, you know, one of my recommendations would have been to go and find my friend Soraya in Stockholm and give her a piece of your mind or my mind via you about the New York thing. Um, Oh, sorry I missed that. I, I love giving the Stockholm rec- New York and Stockholm recommendations. I can I can give them till the cows come home. Uh, thanks very much, uh, Sir Robin. P.S. We're very pleased with our titles. Don't be embarrassed about the Patreon thing. My justification for subscribing as I listen to the podcast more than I would an album I've spent more on. There you go. That's a great way of looking at it. Thank you. And uh, also best wishes to Annabelle. I will do that. I'll try and see her over the next few days because it's, it's been a while, actually, because we've been away in America. It's very odd to go this long without seeing Annabelle. Still not quite used to it. Um, all right. Late edition of the podcast. Podicated to Sue and Rosie and Rory from Robin. And um, don't forget, if you'd like a podication, we got plenty of room. Although, you know, as, as I've just demonstrated, I should have done that one a month ago. Um, but I think we got plenty of room. Uh, email. Hello at adriftpodcast.com. Thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.